And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620 or you listen to the podcast at investinghope.com, iTunes, Google Play, wherever podcasts are found. You can find this show. Today, we got a special guest. Normally, we get on here and we talk about the issues going around the country and in our state when it comes to life and abortion. Today, I wanted to bring in... Uh, a good friend, a good guy that's doing a lot of great work uh, in and around our country for life. Uh, his name is Greg Austin. He is the executive director uh, of church outreach and engagement at CareNet, which is an amazing organization that works with pregnancy centers all over the country. He also is the author of Irreplaceable, Recovering God's Heart for Dads. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about... Uh, his heart for dads, why it's important that we engage fathers in our community, why it's important that pregnancy centers focus and, and do work with the dads that are involved, and, and why that is a need uh, for our communities, but also why it's a biblical uh, need. And, and so the, the book that, that Greg wrote did a great job of really looking through the scriptures and pointing us to some amazing truths. So, Greg, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Andrew. Delighted to be with you. So, so first off, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and kind of how you got connected with CareNet, and then we'll get into the book. Sure. Yeah, so I, my background's a pastor. Um, I've um, you know, worked in, uh, as a senior pastor from like 98 to 2004, and then I actually took an interesting detour, came into um, work for the National Fatherhood Initiative. Um, for about 11 years, and um, then came to CareNet, you know, following that. But, you know, my heart, Andrew, has just certainly being around this issue of fathers. You know, I raised my own three kids, two boys and a daughter, and now my wife Pam and I um, are married about 36 years, and we have seven grandchildren. It seems hard to believe, but um, the additional thing is, after I left National Fatherhood Initiative, which, you know, there was spending a lot of time in a national position, encouraging and promoting involved, responsible, and committed fatherhood. I worked a lot in prisons, which um, worked with prison fellowships as well, especially the last half of my time with National Fatherhood Initiative. And so when I completed my time there and before I came to CareNet, I did my doctorate in Fathering Well, the Neglected Missional Priority of the Church. My thinking was to put some bookends on this kind of unique journey, not only raising my own children, but having worked in this kind of unique, um, very focused um, area with fathers for about 11 years. And so I completed that, and then I came to Karen in 2017. So this month, actually... My goodness, I, it's uh, marks my sixth year at CareNet. And, and I think that's the that's the amazing thing that, that God does is how He orchestrates those things. So, pastor to fatherhood initiative to CareNet, but it's all it's all connected. Being a dad yourself, now being a what what do your grandkids call you? Uh, some call me Poppy. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, so. and uh, yeah. Papa or Poppy? That's kind of the pop, the two popular names. Okay, so so you know you're going through all of that, and now you're uh, a Papa or a Poppy, and and 
I think that's the important thing. You know, I have I have four children. My oldest is uh, 11. He'll be 12 in March, and and our youngest just turned five. And we think about the, you know, I think about the heaviness of being a dad and what that entails and what that involves. And I went and spoke at a at a church this past weekend, and they came with me. They don't always come, but they came with me. And just the importance of them understanding what I do, but also understanding we're trying to cultivate in them a, a love for God, a love for his people, a mm-hmm. love for the church, and not a disdain. Because what, what sometimes happens is dad's in ministry, and so the kids tend to get a, a bad taste in their mouth for the church or for ministry because dad's really good at that, but he's not engaged at home. He's not really good at home. So how have you how have you been able to balance those things as you're working in ministry, whether it be uh, a pastor or fatherhood initiative or now CareNet? Uh, have you been able to balance trying to cultivate a love for the church for gospel stuff uh, while also trying to work and serve in the ways that you do, but not not taking away from uh, the the responsibilities at home? Sure, that's a great question, and Andrew, I think your example is a great one too because you know we we live in a a very busy world, you know, uh, the, the Chinese symbol for busyness is soul killing. And, you know, we, we've got this rapidity of change. that's crazy. I think it, one of the phrases we use at Karen a lot is, you know, we have to build a plane while we're flying it and whether we like it or not. And so I think we're constantly with this work family balance piece, trying to figure out ways that we can blend things that we do. And so I think it's a wonderful thing to be able to take our kids with us um, on ministry opportunities. I mean, so much of passing on the faith and the home is the primary conduit for passing on the faith, believe it or not, not the church. That's what the research shows. The home is that primary conduit. So, you know, we go to Deuteronomy 6 and we get these marching orders early on in the Pentateuch about doing all these things along the way. <laughs> when you lie down, you know, do this. When you sit up, do this. And um, I think it's important to have intentional instruction and passing on Christian content, but far more important is the loving presence of a mom or a dad in a child's life, and so many of the significant things that happen, even spiritually in our kids' lives, happen at insignificant moments. You know, whether we're on our way to the local convenience store to grab a gallon of milk, um, or like you, Andrew, as you're taking them on a ministry opportunity with you, and there's an opportunity in the you know drive to, the drive from, observing you do what God's called you to do in your life, and even often sharing a meal associated with that. You know, as we as we walk through that, you know, I, I've talked to some pastors' kids uh, that that have been my friends or coworkers, you know, over the years. And I remember one in particular. I asked, you know, what was it like your dad being a pastor? And he was like, well, he was he was really good at pastoring other people. And I thought, what mm-hmm. a what a yeah. sad sad truth that that from his vantage point. My dad's really good at loving others, not in our home. Uh, and he wasn't he wasn't meaning that he had a bad dad. He was just that was the first thing that came out of his mouth was he's really good at pastoring others. 
And and as we think about that, that's heavy, man. That, it makes you almost want to go. I mean, we homeschool, and but it makes you uh, it makes you want to go. Okay, maybe I don't ever need to leave. Like, how do I how do I make sure that they they know that dad's engaged, dad's involved, dad loves, dad cares, dad makes mistakes, and he asks for forgiveness yeah. when he makes those mistakes. And so, as you as you have gone through this, uh, and you even mentioned being in in kind of the prison ministry which I did a little bit of that when I was in my early 20s, uh, but it wasn't on fatherhood. It was just taking the, the message of, of the gospel to, mm-hmm. uh, to the county jail where I grew up. And so as you think through that, what is one thing that kept coming out in those conversations? I'm sure that you were talking to guys that didn't know their dads or you're talking to, to guys in there that, that are current dads, but, but now they're apart from their child because they're incarcerated. What was that like walking through those conversations? Well, you know, there, I think the latest stats on the issue and, you know, kind of the technical term, Andrew, is um, father absence. And um, the, that is basically the idea that 18.4 million children in the United States are growing up in homes without a biological step or adopted, adopted father in the home. And there's no place that that shows up more vividly than behind bars. Um, you know, anecdotally, talking to just different practitioners, it was estimated probably you know, nine of these guys uh, didn't know who their father was, um, were abused by their father. I mean, just some heinous stories. And I think the anger, um, you know, anger is one of those front emotions where a lot of times you know, you have to ask the question, what's behind the anger? And guys aren't really good always at recognizing some of the, like, you know, grief, for example, can be behind anger. Frustration can be behind anger. And so we're, we spend time trying to help our children. But, you know, it's hard to be what you didn't see. So, you know, is it any wonder that we have uh, some dads that are behind bars? Now, it's interesting how that played out, Andrew, because, you know, when I was working in this work, there was a lot of government funds that were focused on engaging fathers for successful reentry. And they were trying to fix this problem called recidivism. And basically the idea of recidivism is that, you know, when, um, and again, particularly men that I was working with are released from prison, within three years, uh, two-thirds of them, are back in prison. That's kind of a broken system, you know, so the whole, we need to figure out how to crack this nut of successful reentry. And so in that fatherhood, being an involved, responsible, committed father became uh, an exciting motivation for some of them. So we had a program called Inside Out Dad that basically would give them the message, you know, along with teaching them some different attitudes and skills and competencies relating related to being a good dad or involved, responsible, committed father. But it basically would give them the message that you have a unique and irreplaceable role in the life of your child. And again, that's that's a message that many of those men had never heard. Um, you know, often fathers are viewed, even by the government, as the optional parent, um, even social s- services and Funding that has been given at different times has kind of sent that message. You know, dads are the optional parent. 
And so we say, no, you have a unique and irreplaceable role in the life of your child. And that can become a powerful motivation for some of those men who were behind bars as they're facing some of these difficulties, like, you know, housing. We know that 72 hours after a guy is released, if he can't get stable housing, he's more likely to go back into prison or substance abuse. You know, 80% of the guys have addiction issues that are coming out of prison. So the deck is stacked against them, and you, you have to stand back and say, well, why should I care about getting stable housing? Why should I care about finding some good friends and, and better people, places, and things so I can change habits? So I can Because I have an irreplaceable role in the life of my child. So I think it's an eight. I think that's how our creator designed us. And so for me, even though I was working in some secular settings at the time, it was really in trying to ignite and put a match to a flame that God had put there. And we saw some real success related to that. Yeah, we, we often tell the dads that we meet with, you're going to be one of three things. You're going to be the hero, the ghost, or the villain. And, mm. and, and that's just the reality. So, so obviously all of us dads want to be the hero, uh, but, but in many cases we end up being the villain or the ghost. The ghost is never there, the villain that nobody wants to be there. And when you're there, all you do is cause chaos. Or you can be the hero, and, and I think providing definitions for those terms, if a hero doesn't mean you're this, you know, you look good in a swimsuit and you can uh, lift heavy things, and all that is important, but, but what it means is you're engaged, you admit when you're wrong, you, you love their mom, you, you are involved, you care about them deeply, you protect them, you provide for them. And, and I think what we're finding is in those conversations with, with these dads, light bulbs are going off of like, oh, this is what being a dad is like. Because they're terrified and they don't have a template. As you said, many of them right. didn't have anyone that kind of walked them through or showed them the... Uh, how, to, how to do it. And so they don't have a template. They're trying to figure it out on their own. They're scared out of their mind. And they're afraid that they're going to become that which they, they couldn't stand, which is, you know, to be absent. And, and so when we come back, we'll, we'll continue this conversation on dads and fatherhood uh, with our guest, Greg Austin. We'll be back in a sec. So as we continue the conversation, nothing gets better than Huey Lewis. That is uh, not gospel music, but it's it's as close as you can get without being gospel music. Hugh Lewis in the news. This is Andrew Wood, joined today by Greg Austin. Recently wrote a book, and it's a great book, Irreplaceable, Recovering God's Heart for Dad. So today I'm talking with Greg about fatherhood and why that's important. Uh, Greg's a dad. Uh, he has grandchildren now. I have four kids. I don't think grandchildren are in my near future. Let's. Uh, I think that's going to be a little bit down the road, but... Uh, but I'm already an old soul. I, I can't wait to, to have grandkids. But, but Greg, as we, as we continue to talk about this, this topic, we ended the last segment kind of talking about hero, ghost, villain, why those things are important, uh, and, and why it's important to be engaged as a dad and why it's important for our community. I mean, we could run down the stats that the dad isn't involved. The chances of high school dropout, drug abuse, incarceration, unemployment, all those go, go up with fatherless homes. We, we know that. Um, and so when, when you were sitting down to think about kind of your next season and your next step, why this book and, and why right now? Yeah, I, you know, I was just actually in my own devotional reading this weekend, uh, finishing up a book by uh, Jamie Smith, one of my favorite authors. 
on the on the road with St. Augustine. And he actually had a chapter towards the end on fathers, and I, I love this one definition that he had because it's so related to uh, some of the themes in my book. But he said, the best way to be a father is to point your children beyond you to a father who never fails. And so, you know, this first third even of the book, Andrew, is, as you know, is just really trying to help people understand God's love for them and his intention, you know, um, as far as using fathers. I mean, so there's a couple ways to kind of get at your question, because it's such a big one related to the whole book. But, you know, if you think about, first of all, what, what does it mean to be a good dad? You know, one of the definitions I put in the book, and this might be helpful even when I talk about the idea of fathering well, you know, success is defined in being a good dad as far as raising kids who are wise and self-aware and empathetic and culturally literate and pure and God-fearing, who have their vocational direction and self-worth rooted in the cross, who enjoy relationships and are prepared for healthy marriage, whether they'll marry or not, and who care about beauty and justice, and to the extent that they have the capacity, are able to make a positive impact in the world. And I tried to give that really nuanced definition to give somewhat of a target and also just to give a little bit of a template to unpack some of these topics in depth. Um, you know, as we're raising our kids, as we're even, like for me, having my kids back as they're raising their children, because it's about, again, passing on God's mercy to the third and fourth generation. But, you know, one of the key passages, Andrew, within the fatherhood movement, um, I, and I think it's, it's really misunderstood a lot, but it's, it's kind of the poster child. Sometimes I call it the mother of all fatherhood passages. is in Malachi chapter 4. And it's in verse 6, it says, He'll turn, He shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And again, it's a, it's a bit of a complicated prophecy. It's right at the end of the, the Old Testament. The he ends up being John the Baptist, who actually is pointing to Christ. So, you know, John the Baptist was just a lamp. Jesus was the light. John the Baptist was just a little voice. Jesus was the Word. So it's pointing to Christ, but, you know, a lot of times that passage, he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. It just gets interpreted horizontally, you know, just like we're talking about this issue of father absence. But really what it's talking about is our vertical relationship with God. And the prophet Malachi was speaking to the nation of Israel at that time, that had seriously departed from God's path. And the forefathers, the Abraham, the Isaacs, the Jacobs, you know, who, who pass on the faith, um, these spiritual giants within the Old Testament. And so turning the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the children to the fathers is about really connecting people... <laughs> with God's ancient paths, with the spiritual forefathers. And that's really important because how did God ask us to relate to him? You know, he's not male, he's not female. He said, our 
Father. So Jesus taught us to pray, our Father. And and so really, because fathers, in many senses, Andrew, we are in, along with moms, but maybe even more so, are, are in the most strategic place in the universe to pass on the possibility of friendship with God to our children. I mean, no one spends more time with children, no youth leader, no person at school, you know, than a parent. And so um, that's God's design as a loving father communicating his mercy to us to have fathers pass on this legacy to their children, this possibility of friendship with God. And so let me just stop there, uh, whatever you want to unpack with that, but that's that's a bit of the fire behind the book. Well, I, I think it's interesting you bring up legacy because you also in the book take a moment uh, to to share your own experiences, even of growing up with your dad, and and you're very transparent in the uh, in the book, and I think that's important. And why did you feel the need? Because I think sometimes I even feel this. Sometimes I speak I speak to different groups, and and sometimes they look at me and they're like, "Look, our lives are so different. You you couldn't possibly relate or understand what I'm going through." Yeah. And and so in those moments, I try to then okay, well, I got to be transparent, and let you know that. You know, my parents split when I was 14, and, and it wasn't mm-hmm. all roses. And my stepdad comes into the picture, and he was an atheist and non-believer. Uh, and, and now the Lord has grabbed a hold of him and changed his life forever. And, and he, now I have two amazing dads and a mom. And, and so all these things. And so as we think through this, why did you feel it important to be transparent and even talk about some of the struggles, uh, some of the, the tough relationships that you had even with your dad? Well, one reason I wanted to be real and honest, I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer, so I mean, that's an important thing for our, our, um, our generation, you know, kind of no BS. But I think, you know, the, I mentioned, you know, this definition of fathering well. We've mentioned father absence. I guess the other big term associated with this conversation that you brought up is, is what's often called the father wound, you know, um, and... I spend quite a bit of time telling my story, but then I talk more formally about it at the end of the book. You know, it is a pervasive theme in many of our stories. Um, But the reason I talk about it towards the end is that healing and personal growth are messy, and they're not easily packaged. You know, we don't, for example, you know, miraculously heal from our wounds in Chapter 1 of our story, our life story, and then move on to being a good dad in Chapter 2. I love this phrase by Henry Nguyen, uh, where he talks about us being at our best, wounded healers. Um, you know, maybe, you know, to say it a different way, we don't have the luxury of understanding and eradicating everything that's wrong with us before we start parenting, you know? And so it's not that many of us don't need or won't experience or shouldn't pursue healing, it's just when God's in the picture again, and this is part of the, the, the wondrous thing of his providence and his sovereignty, that often the wound is where the light shines through. You know, he, he mentions in the Psalms, when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Um, think of the story of, of Jesus where he talked about the woman who had been caught in adultery and 
and forgiven of her sins. And he says she loves much because she has been forgiven much. So I think sometimes when we've had these severe wounds, we have a greater appreciation sometimes of God's healing grace as it touches those wounds and as he has our back. When we know about our failures, we know our lack, we know we didn't, it's hard for us to be what we didn't see, you know? Absolutely. Well, we'll we'll continue the conversation with Greg on the other side as he's the author of Irreplaceable, Recovering God's Heart for Dads. We'll be back in a sec. So as we continue the conversation today, we are joined by Greg Austin. He's the author of Irreplaceable, Recovering God's Heart for Dads, a great book on fatherhood. And uh, Greg, I just appreciate the um, the willingness to talk about tough subjects. I think in our current culture and society, we, we often point fingers at problems in our culture and society, but we refuse, especially as a secular culture, to to say, hey, we need, we need to do more in, mm-hmm. in building traditional families. We need to do more in making sure dad's involved and at home. We, we, I often talk on this show about how the, the abortion narrative runs into itself. So they'll say things like, we need to, in order to reach our truest freedom, in order for women to reach their truest freedom, they should be able to abort their children. And then they'll say things like, Amazon mistreats pregnant women. And it's, mm. it, it, that, that argument eventually mm-hmm. runs into itself because that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. All Amazon is doing is taking their cues from the abortion lobby. And, and then when you say that gender roles have no value, we, we don't even have gender roles, when, when you say men have no say in the matter, men have no involvement, and then you get upset that men aren't involved in, in the pregnancy and in parenting the child, it's like, well, what do you want them to do? They, they are doing that which you told them to do. And, and yeah. so I appreciate that, that you've written this book, and I appreciate the church's willingness to step in and say, hey, the reality is we need dads, we need moms, we need, we need good dads and moms. And in some of those scenarios, they're going to be married, and, and it's going to be a traditional relationship that we want. But even in the brokenness, we still need a dad and a mom. Uh, and, and I often say about my story, my dad was a, was a dairy farmer and had to milk every single day, twice a day. Uh, after the divorce, a flip switched for him almost to the point of, annoying if i'm honest where he wouldn't leave me alone he called me all the time he 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 made a point he was at all the ball games he he did all that and i thought what a weird place that i'm going man my dad's just there you know wants to be involved too much in my life and then then you you bring in my stepdad who a lot of the things that i've learned in terms of you know working on vehicles or or working in the yard or, or construction or anything came from my stepdad teaching me those skills and and so so I, I remember looking at my principal one day because it was right in the middle of the messy divorce. My mom was remarrying, and, and I was just having a moment at high school of just, like, breaking down. And, and my principal looked at me and said, and he was, a, he was a, a God-fearing man, and he said, you know, you, because he had been through a divorce as well. And he said, I look at my kid's stepdad as a, I want that man to love my kids well, and, and that's how we've worked this process out. And I remember thinking, I remember one time even looking at my dad and saying, would you rather my stepdad not love me? Like, would you rather that he not be there? Because at least he cares about us. And, and he still does to this day. And so it's those tough conversations that I think at times, especially when we go into settings 
whether it be in the, the prison ministry or, or even in pregnancy centers sitting with dads, I think at times they kind of look at us and go, well, you have it all figured out. It's all rosy for you. And then when we start to be transparent and kind of walking them through, no, no, here's, here's our own story. I think it does open up paths to conversation and into a willingness to listen. And, and now in our dad's class, we're having guys that their, their baby's been born. Their baby's now about to be a year old. And they look at me and say, can I keep coming? Can I keep coming back and, mm-hmm. and hearing from y'all and hearing what's happening and, and learning and, and even passing on some wisdom and knowledge to the other dads that, that are scared because I was there once. You know, these are things that matter. But one thing you did in your book, which I appreciate, is you didn't run away from the text and, and from Scripture. And I think sometimes it's easy to throw platitudes and kind of motivational talk to dads. But you went back to the Bible and said, yeah, motivational talks are good, but here's where all that is birthed from. What was the mm-hmm. now I know the easy answer is I was a pastor and you're in you, you, you have a Ph.D. and all those things. That's why you went back to the Bible. But but what was the kind of the motivating factor of, hey, we need we don't just need a fatherhood book. We need a book that says. God is the orchestrator and author of this, and this is why that matters. I think we're in a, a time, Andrew, where we lack a lot of nuance. You know, less and less people read. Um, we learn a lot of things just from we're, we're more oral, you know, oral learners. Um, getting your news off Facebook, things like that. And so I wanted to do something that had depth and nuance nuance, especially given the journey that God had brought me on. And I also think in our culture right now, we need listening conversations, you know, regardless of somebody's viewpoint, because we're, like, to your point, you know, some people have experienced profound brokenness. And um, if the center of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the forgiveness of sins, you know, the mercy of God, that's got to be the primary thing that we bring into these areas of brokenness, including our own, you know? So being real with our story, being careful not to just criticize the left because they, of the cancel culture, but to see the cancel culture within the church, you know, as well, and to try to really listen and, um, take, you know, be disarming. Don't, don't just give the typical talking points but get people so that they can go back to Scripture. And if they really can believe, um, and I think we can do this even through the family, you know, part of the experience, even if, even if you've had a bad father, even if you've had a father that abused you, or even if you've had a bad marriage that's ended in divorce, you still have an awareness of what things could be or should be. And so I think, you know, the, the, whether it's the sexual experience, which, you know, speaks to the transcendent, or just, you know, that knowledge of, I mean, it just takes survival of the fittest, you know, have an atheistic evolutionary perspective. We, you can't, fatherhood can't fit into that, because the sacrificial love that I feel for my children, when I take a bullet for them, right? you can't explain that through the lens of survival at the fittest. So I, I think it, that becomes a powerful apologetic for us, and it's part of God's design. So even if we all fall short of God's design, which is why we need the gospel, 
We should always be holding up God's design because as a loving father, he gave that to us because he loves us. Well, and even the, the argument of survival of the fittest versus love your wife as Christ loves the church. Well, what, is, what did Christ do? Mm-hmm. He laid down his life. That is not survival of the fittest. That is saying, I will take on that which you can't. And, and, uh, and even to the point of giving up my life. And, and I think I, I had a seminary professor one time tell a story that, uh, now this is more marriage focus, but it points to the, to the sacrificial love that, that you have for your spouse, but also for your children. And he said that he had a, a member of his church come uh, every Sunday, and he would wheel his wife in on a wheelchair, and she just looked uh, you know, like she wasn't present. She, she had a, a, a disease, and, and she just wasn't present any, any, at any time. And, and he says he would watch, as he was preaching, he would watch this man like dote and love on his wife and and he asked him one day, he says, how do you do it? How do you, how do you continue to do this when she doesn't even really act like she knows you're there? And he said, the man looked at me and said, you know, the other day I was changing her diaper. And I thought, wow, that, just that, that phrase alone is, is a, is a yeah. pretty heavy one. And he said, uh, we started singing an old, uh, old hymn. And, and he says, I just knew in that moment she still, even just a little bit, knows I'm there and knows that I'm caring for her and loving her. And I used to joke, as I, like I said earlier, I'm an old soul. And, and when I, I wore a true love weights ring before I got married, got married young, and all the, the you know, friends that I had were like, how do you know? How do you know that it's the one? And, and how do you, why, you're getting married awful young, and how do you know that? And, uh, and I remember telling them, like, true love is is not what you see on the TV. True love is, in in the way I would say it, from being in, in the country, wiping the hind end of your spouse. That I've said that since I was 20 years mm-hmm. old, and it's a weird thing for a 20 year old to say. But but these are the things that we know represent love. And and even when I have these conversations with dads, I'm saying when that child is born because they're scared and they're they're nervous and they don't know what to do. I said as soon as you put your eyes on that child, you're just gonna feel like I'm supposed to do this. doesn't mean you have it all figured out, but you're going to hold that child. You're going to have a connection with that child because you helped make that child. And, and then it's, there's going to be late nights and there's going to be, you know, messy diapers and there's going to be all these things that happen, but you're going to, when you're, when you're doing it the right way, you'll lay down at night and say, it's all worth it. And I do it again. And, and those are the hard things. If you haven't had a template where a dad kind of did that for you, uh, it's hard to, to imagine that you couldn't get there. And then especially if you're outside of a, uh, of a gospel teaching at, of any kind, you're hearing from society of you don't have a yeah. say or when you do have your kids, you're babysitting them. And I'm like, don't tell me I'm babysitting my children. They're mine. You know, I'm, I'm raising my kids. And so if they're all with me, they're all with me. I'm not babysitting them as if I, I can't handle this. And, and so uh, as, we, as we finish up today, what's kind of one message you can give to the listeners that, that are that are thinking through this? Maybe they're they're hearing this and they're thinking back to a uh, a dad that was disengaged or they're thinking maybe they're expecting a child and they're like, I'm nervous. What what's some what's quickly and I know we just have like one minute, what's something that you would give to them to say this is the, the direction you need to go? Well, I w- I'd like to say if if you can read and it, uh, there there's probably no better book I'm I'm aware of. Um and what I've just written as far as getting into some of this stuff in depth. And so I commend that to you to pick that up on Amazon. 
Um, there are certainly many other great books, but I think the other thing is, Andrew, it's, it's not just about information. It's about getting into community. Uh, iron sharpens iron. And, uh, one of the things that Tim Keller said that I appreciated so much is he said, you know, you, he's telling, you know, these, these arrogant New Yorkers, uh, independent New Yorkers, you know, you didn't just get into the problems that you have. Because of your individual choices, you got into them by your relationships. And you're not going to get out of your problems just by your individual choices. You're going to get out of them by your relationships. Amen. That might be overstated, but God created community. And even when we pray, our Father, it's our Father. It's in community. We grow together in community, whether that's family, whether that's God's church, um, so I'll stop there because I know we're about out. Well, that's of awesome. Well, Greg, thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk to you more on the other side. So as we finish up today, uh, honored to be joined by Greg Austin uh, for this show as we talked about his book, uh, brand new release, Irreplaceable, Recovering God's Heart. For dads, you can find that on Amazon. Again, it's Irreplaceable, Recovering God's Heart. For dads, Greg Austin, a great dude and, and just doing amazing work with, with dads and with pregnancy centers and church engagement across the country. Look, the, the reason why I'm, I talk about fatherhood often on this show is because it matters. It matters deeply to our own homes. It matters deeply to our communities. It matters to our state capitals. It matters to our nation's capital. Being a good dad makes a difference. Being an engaged dad makes a difference. Being a good spouse, a good and engaged spouse makes a difference. So when we have these conversations about, you know, high school dropouts or uh, drug addiction, unemployment, incarceration, when, when we have these conversations, the thing that, that, that our culture will, will never want to kind of uh, hone in on is the fact that a lot of that would be would be alleviated if we celebrated dads and fatherhood, and, and that's just the truth. That that's not just some you know crazy Christian saying that. Like that is what the data shows. And, and if you don't believe me, I have referenced and, and quoted articles and studies on this show multiple times that point to that truth. And, and I know that you've seen it in your own life. You've seen it in your school, and you've seen it in your neighborhood, and you've seen it maybe in your own family. And so as we think about that, when, when I say that, that uh, it's a heavy lift to be a good dad or a good parent, I, I don't say that uh, just to, uh, to create fodder. I say that because it's true. It makes a difference. And, and so for some of us, it's like, well, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to be a good dad, but I got to work. I got to make money and I got to do this and I got to do that. Yes, yeah, that that's all well and good, but but what's taking priority? Do your dad do your, do your kids know you first as a dad or well, you know, he he loves his job. Like I, I don't think we deal with the heaviness of life because we don't want to deal with it. So we just well, I got to do this or I got to do that. What we don't want to want to take time to to think about is I was looking at data the other day that said the average lifespan is around 76 to 78 years old think about that 
I'm two years from 40. So let's just say I go the average. How much time do I have? How much time do I have with my kids, with my grandkids? How much time do I have with my spouse? And then when you, when you go even outside of that, you're going, you could be gone tomorrow. What legacy are, are you leaving for your children? What legacy are you leaving for your community, for your family? And so put in the effort. If you're a dad listening to this and you're thinking, man, I, I've, I've kind of wasted some years with my children. Well, fix that now. Or if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't have kids yet, then be prepared for that day. And don't let it slip by. Don't waste those years. It makes a difference. Because you're, you're, you're putting them on a trajectory. Now, now, I know good parents that did a lot of good things and their kids still kind of went wonky. I'm not saying that that can't happen, but, but we want to do everything we can to put them on a trajectory. And as Greg said earlier, so that you can impact multiple generations down the way. It's the same thing I tell our dads, that, that you would be the dad that changed the trajectory for your family forever. Or that continues the trajectory, whatever that may be. That you would be the dad one day that the picture is up on the mantle and says, that's the man that changed it all for us. Like th- These are things that matter to us. They should matter to us. And so if you want to know a good starting point, a good place to go, to kind of see biblically what this means and what this says about Fatherhood, a great book by Greg Austin, Irreplaceable, Recovering God's Heart for Dads. You can find it on Amazon, Irreplaceable, Recovering God's Heart for Dads. Strongly encourage it, recommend it. It's a, it's a great look at being a dad from a biblical worldview, and that's what matters. And so if, if you want to get that for maybe your, your, uh, your dad, maybe get it for yourself as you're about to be a dad, or maybe get it for your grandson who's about to be a dad whatever that looks like i highly recommend this book Uh, thanks for listening we'll talk more to you next week